got it. I know. It's like, it's got to tell you just so that there's permission. I think it gives you an option to like leave if you want to. So yeah. Thank you for not (laughs) leaving. I appreciate it. (laughs) Hello. Welcome to Kiara Gets Drunk and Talks About Music. Today, we are talking about Graceland by Paul Simon, released in 1986 under Warner Brothers Records. And my guest is Sarah Beth from Red Tape Brewery. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thank you for coming on the podcast, Sarah Beth. It is nice to e-meet you as all of the, you know, the corporate lingo kids say um, during this time when we're all on Zoom. But um, I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on. Um, Now, you and I have not met before. This is our first official meeting. Um, We had a little bit of an introduction via email. We had a little bit of a phone chat. And uh, I'm just, I'm honestly so excited. It's very rare we have like members of the brewery community come onto the podcast. You're the first official one actually. So that's so exciting. I mean, it's a long time coming. You emailed me a few months ago and it's like, okay, let's find the right time. And here we are. Here we are. It only took us till September, but we we made it work. Um, Now your brewery is based in Toronto, right? Yes, we're located at 159 Main Street, which is in the Upper Upper Beaches neighborhood of Toronto. Amazing. I cannot wait to come and venture out and meet you in person one day, hopefully very soon. Um, And I would love for you to tell the listeners a little bit about how you got started at Red Tape Brewery um, and then a little bit about the beer we're drinking today, which is this delicious That Was Easy Pale Ale. So I own Red Tape Brewery with my husband, Sean, who's also a brewmaster. You know, owning a brewery was something that had always been a dream of ours. And then in 2019, just some some things kind of lined up and it was like, okay, let's do this. So we started, you know, moving all the pieces together and then COVID happened. So our opening was delayed, but we opened December 2nd, 2020. So we're coming up on our first anniversary. Yeah, that, that's how we got here. So I'll, I'm sure we'll talk more about the brewery and all the <laughs> fun little details that we have, like bespoke brewing. Uh, so what we're drinking today is called That Was Easy. This was our first beer. It's a pale ale. It was designed to, you know, be enjoyed at the end of a long day. Uh, you know, and today is back- certainly that. I will tell you that. So. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a lot of people are having those days right now. Um, and so the way I like to describe the flavors of this beer is like, it's, it's one of those ales where you're watching the game at the pub on a Sunday in the before times and you drink four or six of them. Like they're really ah. easy drinking and it's just enjoyable. Meant to be enjoyed in bulk. Yes. Yes. Or <laughs> just one at the end of the day. You want or just, there's refreshing? no in between. It's no. one or many. <laughs> Never just a couple. Well, it is really delicious. And uh, I know I said this to you before we started recording, but uh, I really love the design of your cans, the label, like the gradient of, mm-hmm. of the actual label is beautiful. And yeah, when I saw that it was designed, uh, th- this drink was designed as a refreshing drink for after a hard day's work. I was just like, that is perfect because I am so tired and I really could use a cold beer right now. And so when we decided on this one, I was very, very happy. Like, oh, this is perfect. I want to give a shout out to our graphic designer, Minar. Minar is the one who designs all of our labels. Um, and the boat was his, his venture. And, you know, it, it really goes along with our brand and the idea that we had in line of our brand. And when he, he came up with the boat, we were like, we want that boat everywhere. So now it's I everywhere. That. Yeah. I love even on the website. I think there's like a little moving boat, right? It's on the website. And when you eventually come into our tap room, our taps are the little boat. So we worked with a a guy named Jeff Mack and he does all this really cool wood and epoxy design. So they're little sailboats made out of epoxy on white oak. 
Oh, I love that. So cool. Now, a question I did have for you was, how did you guys come up with the name Red Tape Brewery? Sean uses red electrical tape to label everything. So he was being interviewed by our friend Dan Grant, who had been writing for a home brewing magazine. This was back in 2013. And so they're talking about home brewing and Sean had been brewing and Dan asked him, you know, what's the name of your brewery? And he had a roll of red electrical tape in his hands. He's like, red tape? And he was like, yeah, that's great. So that's where that was born. And then Sean's mom got him a kegerator for Christmas. And I wanted to get him something for Valentine's Day. We we really love Valentine's Day. So <laughs> I lived in Ottawa at the time. My neighbor and beer drinking buddy, Luke, uh, he's a graphic designer. I was like, hey, Luke, can you help me like design a logo? I just want to make a tap handle for Sean for, for Valentine's Day. So he came up with this. So the letters are as though they're written with tape. And then the scissors are cutting through the red tape. Oh my gosh, and the you're tips, so right. The tips of the scissors are offset to look like devil horns to represent the evilness of bureaucracy around craft beer in Ontario. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's a lot to digest in one That's label. A lot. But, but it's cool, right? It's, it's like, so oh. cool. Yeah, yeah, the design is is amazing. You've got some pretty amazing um, like partners that you've worked with to bring everything together. So love yeah, the name, we, love the story We have really it. great people in our lives. <laughs> And we got to be grateful for that during this time, right? Absolutely. It's been insane. And um, being, you know, a a local business owner, how have you found things during the pandemic? I know we're not completely out of the clear yet, but hopefully things are getting better every day. I mean, they're changing every day. (laughs) (laughs) Moving in one direction. (laughs) We are, our opening was delayed by a few months. We originally planned to open during spring 2020, pushed back to December, 2020, Uh, and we were only open for retail. So we had to pivot our business plan multiple times, even before opening. So hundred percent of our product went into cans from the time that we opened up until about six weeks ago. Is it six weeks, six weeks ago already? And then we were like, okay, we can open up our tap room now. Let's get some draft. So that was like a new learning curve. Like how do we distribute this beer? How many people are, are we actually going to have in the tap room? So it's always kind of figuring things out. Those changes in regulations and, you know, provincial regulations, um, it's constant. And right. so our most recent one, as you know, is the vaccine passport. And uh, that's on top of collecting personal information for contact tracing. So it's just a lot. You know, sure. it's changing. We're, we're, we're ready for, you know, just kind of a steady state of not change for a little while. I know. I'm like, wouldn't it be nice to just like go back to just like regular old boring life? But uh, this is unfortunately the times that we're living in. And I'm again, I'm so appreciative for you making time because I know how busy you guys are. Um, so thank you for coming on the pod, sharing your story about mm. red tape and for providing the amazing beer that we're drinking today. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you actually selected the album that we're going to talk about today. So you have selected great. Graceland by Paul Simon. Um, and I'm excited to hear your thoughts on it. Uh, before we get into that, I'm going to give the listeners a bit of a backstory on who Paul Simon is, just in case they've been living under a rock for the last, like, I don't know what, 40 years and, and not quite sure who he is. Um, so we'll do that and then we'll get into the album. Does that sound okay? Perfect. Perfect. So Paul Simon is an American singer-songwriter who is probably best known as one half of the incredibly successful duo Simon and Garfunkel, along with his friend Art Garfunkel, who turned out hits like The Sound of Silence, Bridge Over Troubled Water, The Boxer, and Mrs. Robinson between the years of 1956 and 1970. One could argue, though, that Simon went on to have an even more successful career after parting ways with art, earning 16 Grammys, a Lifetime Achievement Award, and being inducted into the Rock and 
Rock and Roll Hall of Fame twice. That was a tongue twister for no reason that that needed to be. (laughs) (laughs) The album that we're talking about today, Graceland, is his seventh studio record, and it was born via his fascination and appreciation for Mbakanga, which is a Zulu style of music. Simon was coming off of a divorce to Carrie Fisher, who we know and love as Princess Leia, RIP, as well as a failed album when he flew to South Africa to record the album with local musicians. And it went on to become his most successful album, selling 16 million copies globally and winning album of the year at the 1987 Grammy Awards. However, it is important to note that there's a lot of controversy surrounding the album. At the time of recording, Simon broke the cultural boycott of South Africa, which was under apartheid at the time. And he was accused by many of taking advantage of South African musicians. And he was actually blacklisted by the UN at one point because he violated the boycott. He was later removed from the blacklist in 1987. But at a time, I don't know if there's many people who could say they were blacklisted by the United Nations. Paul Simon is one of them. Um, And the album still generates a lot of criticism as well as good discussion today. Certain musicians praise it for bringing groups like Lady Smith Black Mombazo to the forefront and others believe it is an appropriation of South African culture. But I think my own personal opinion, however you view the album, what I've learned through, you know, doing this research is just that it's important to do research. It's important to have conversations and don't be afraid to think critically about, uh, about an album or about an artist. It's always great to learn and to not be ignorant to these kinds of call outs. So I'm really happy that you chose this album today, Sarah Beth. And, uh, it gave me an opportunity to, I learned so much, honestly, I really Same did here. I couldn't believe it. You know, as I'm reading more and more about the album, like when I chose it, I was just like, I love this album. This is like part of our lives. We listen to it a lot and it's been part of our relationship of me and Sean's relationship since we've known each other but you know like reading about the history of it and the different perspectives that happened and how he was blacklisted and hearing from the artists and how like he should have gone through this way but the artists were like oh we were working together we used each other yeah (laughs) you know I, I just I love the combination of the sounds and how he brought those sounds in there and you know the way that that wouldn't have happened if he hadn't done if he hadn't gotten blacklisted. <laughs> it's true. I guess like, you know, we certainly wouldn't have the Graceland album that we have today, right? It's it's an iconic record. It really is. And it has stood the test of time in the last 35 years, I guess, since it's released. So yeah, um, like now I think I have to like talk to my dad because- you know, like what, what were his thoughts? I was, I was a small, tiny human being whenever this album was released. And, and the first time that I heard it was because my dad had it. So like, dad, do you remember all of this? Like what, what was it? Like there was no social media then. Like how was it communicated? Was it on television? I don't know. I don't know. Would it have been on the news? Like the six o'clock news? Like I, I, it's hard for me to imagine that, but it, it very well might have been. But again, just important for us to be in the know. And it's always great yeah. to do a little bit of extra research beforehand and just, uh, yeah, just make sure you're part of the discussion is all. So I'm Absolutely. Uh, happy that we're doing that today. Um, yeah. On the to, eve of Truth and Reconciliation Day as well. Amazing point. Great segue. Absolutely. So excited. So here in Canada, we have a new um, national day of recognition, or I shouldn't call it recognition rather, but a day of uh, reflection, which is our Truth and Reconciliation Day happening tomorrow, September 30th, 2000. 21. I am not an expert about it, Sarah Beth, but uh, I hear that you have some experiences and uh, you have maybe some insight that you can share and maybe give the listeners a little bit of a uh, little bit of a lesson on what this day is about. Yeah. Um, So tomorrow, September 30th is the first Truth and Reconciliation Day in Canada. The federal government has made this a holiday for time people like federal employees can take the time to reflect and further understand. So if you're not familiar with this, 
uh, originally it was called Orange Shirt Day, and it was called Orange Shirt Day because of Will- Phyllis Webstead, who is a First Nations woman who's from BC. And when she was going off to residential school, her mom had bought the- her this beautiful orange shirt that she really loved. And then she got to residential school and they took the shirt and she never saw it again. And she was really upset about that. And like with residential schools, often the students would arrive, you know, they would cut off their hair, they would be put into uniforms and um, banned from speaking their language. Um, So that's kind of how September 30th came to be. So my mom is Inuit. She is a residential school survivor and a federal day school survivor. Um, I'm the president of the Toronto Inuit Association. So I've been getting a lot of questions about, you know, how I feel about this day. And it's a, it's a big day of emotional heavy lifting. And I'm really hoping that people take the time to inform themselves and, you know, beyond just buying this orange shirt or wearing an orange shirt, you know, kind of reading about it and understanding all the horrors that happened across Canada in residential schools. There were tons of residential schools across the country, and they aren't just Indian residential schools. They were also Inuit residential schools. And, you know, once you start learning about it, then you realize that there's so much that happened and there's so many documentaries and books, and there's so much learning that can be done that isn't mandated within schools. I personally think that it would make more sense for the federal government to take the money that they spent on mandating a a federal holiday and putting it towards like making sure that there's education in schools so that kids can learn about the history of residential schools across Canada. Absolutely. Yeah, it's I think that's a great point because I don't remember learning a single thing when I was growing up in school about the residential school system. Like it, it wasn't honestly something until I became an adult and especially up until this year with the recovery of, um, you know, like mass graves that we saw where I feel like it hit people. It, it finally hit people. And I imagine that it's also been uh, a very troubling and haunting part of Canadian history for so many people of indigenous backgrounds. And unfortunately it took us this long for us to kind of feel what those groups must've been feeling. So, yeah. um, I've learned about a lot of friends who aren't familiar with their Indigenous history because their grandparents didn't talk about it. And that was the Indian Act being effective, you know, essentially erasing where they came from so that, you know, like people of our generation have no idea. And And it's it's just like their families are starting to have those conversations and those are tough conversations. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I think you said it best, emotional heavy lifting, right? Mm -hmm. And hopefully the day inspires everyone to do a little bit of digging, do a little bit of research on their own end and Mm -hmm. uh, and educate themselves and Mm -hmm. um, choose to choose education and choose to choose discussion rather than rather than staying silent. Yeah. um, And I think that that kind of ties in with what we're talking about today with all we learned as we've gotten ready to do this podcast with Bardite and all the things that we didn't know about it. And all the things that we're learning just from an album, from a storyteller who's, you know, trying to share the beauty of, of these people. Absolutely. Now, um, in the spirit of somebody like Paul Simon, who I consider to be a very chill, very easygoing dude from what I've seen in interviews and performances, we obviously have our That Was Easy Pale Ale provided to us by Red Tape Brewery. So Sarah Beth, can you tell the listeners a little bit about what they could expect when they buy uh, That Was Easy Pale Ale? So that was easy with our first beer. We brewed it, um, you know, at the end of a very hard year, which was 2020, to celebrate the opening of our brewery. Um, It's an easy drinking pale ale. It is 100% Ontario grains, 80% Ontario hops. Um, It's smooth. It's a rich 
flavor for an ale and it's got a little bit of sharpness I believe from the centennial hops I kind of wish Sean was here right now just to <laughs> confirm that centennial hops um so I'm just going to take this up please so there's lots of aromas um you know it's, it's just a beautiful ale it's not golden it's it's a little bit richer than a gold mm-hmm. ale I could drink I could drink a lot of these while I'm watching sports or just listening to music with my new friend, Kiara. Yeah. Right. Maybe we should just do this. Maybe we should make this a regular occurrence. We could, we could do many beers. We could just do a red tape series with you. You know what? I'm actually so down for that. That sounds amazing. And uh, sign me up. (laughs) Sign me up. (laughs) We're only like a quarter of the way through the episode. And I'm like, nope, I don't need to hear anymore. Someone wants to drink beer with me. Yeah. Sign me up. There are many more albums. Like we had a whole day of Great Big Sea here at the brewery today for many different reasons. But let's get back to Graceland. (laughs) I love it. You're, you're controlling it. I don't even need to be here. You've got the, you've got the podcast down pat now. I'm so into it. So on that note, I've got to start the conversation on the album by asking you about your relationship with Paul Simon. So you said your dad introduced you to him or to this album, yeah. I guess. So, you know, our house was one of those houses where there was always music or that's how I remember it at least. And, you know, we had those tons of milk carts filled with records. And, you know, I remember the Simon and Garfunkel records and I remember Graceland and we would be, you know, then we would be doing road trips and occasionally we had a cassette tape, which was really exciting. I don't (laughs) remember an eight track, but I do remember cassette tapes. Um, so it's just, you know, that super upbeat kind of sound. Um, those are my earliest memories of of Graceland. What about you? So this is, it's funny. This album, I don't think I have like a very long standing relationship with, I will say the first time I heard about Graceland even being a thing was from uh, one of my best high school friends, Indrita, who has been a, a member of the podcast family for a little while now. And her family like lived for Simon and Garfunkel. My, I remember my mom and dad having Simon and Garfunkel records in the house as well, but I don't think they played them as often as maybe they were constantly on repeat in, in your house. But, um, that's who I really like found out who Simon and Garfunkel were. And I remember this random memory came to me when I was listening to the album, but I remember right after nine 11, there was an episode of Saturday night live. And it was like two weeks after or something that the, it had happened like after the towers fell. And, um, Paul Simon came on the show and like, you know, Rudy Giuliani did a, um, a message, I guess, to America, a message to New York City to kind of kick off the show. And then he, you know, kicked it over to Paul Simon and Paul Simon just like played the boxer, like acoustic. And like when 9-11 happened, I was quite young. I was, I think, six years old at the time. So I remember like even at like six, I remember that image of like, you know, this is what music can do to people because there are people in the audience who were crying, like people who were visibly moved by the performance of this one person by this song that means so much to so many people. And I think that's when it kind of started to click for me, you know, as I grew older too, like how music can be used in times of healing. I know I've turned to music during the pandemic many times to keep myself sane, to keep myself going, to pick me up when I'm feeling down or to indulge some of my more sad feelings and listen to sad records. Um, But that's why I was so pumped when you suggested this because I was like, you know what? I don't remember the last time I actually like sat down and listened to the album like front to back. I'd probably heard it in passing like over time, but this was such a great opportunity to come back to it and, you know, to our earlier points to learn about, to learn about the history and how it was recorded and the South African influence, the Mbakanga, like everything was, was so interesting to me. Um, and, uh, I think my biggest takeaway from listening to the album is realizing too, that Paul Simon is 
certainly more of a storyteller sometimes than he is a musician. And I feel like that's how he's tapped into a lot of his audience. And uh, as a consumer of his music, I am, uh, I was very happy to listen to this record and it's all I've been listening to for the last like week in preparation for this episode. So. I listen to it a lot too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so light. It's so energetic. Like yes. it just, it, it hits you in all the right places. Like it hits your soul and it's just an easy listening album. It really, really is. Yeah. And is it one also that Sean enjoys? Oh, hundred percent. So Sean, I, you know what I realized today, Facebook gave me a memory that we met nine years ago today. Isn't that wild? Oh my goodness. Congratulations on your meeting anniversary. <laughs> Our meeting anniversary. We met at Bose Oktoberfest in Van Cleek Hill, Ontario. So Sean grew up in Van Cleek Hill with Steve Beauchene, who's one of the founders of Bose beer goes all natural. Amazing. Uh, so we met at a beer fest. Beer has been like a huge part of our lives since we, since we met one another. But I remember one of the first times that he came to visit me in Ottawa, as I said, I lived in Ottawa, he lived in Toronto. So we, we had a long distance relationship for about a year and a half. Um, and so he came to Ottawa and we're in my kitchen and he puts on diamonds on the soles of his shoes. And that was like the first like kitchen dance party that we had. And so, you know, like that's, that's a really key song for me. It, it just always brings back memories and, and we played it at our wedding as well. So it's one of the songs that we danced to. I think we transitioned from like Better Together by Jack Johnson, which was our, our first dance. And then Love Jack Johnson. Diamonds on the Souls of Her Shoes. So like really kick off the party. I love that. That's such a great story. And like, and, and you know what? I always think that music is better when it's shared. So it's so nice when you have that like relationship with somebody who you obviously care so much about and who you love very much. And you can also kind of bask in the glory that is a, a record that's so special to you. So amazing yeah. memory. I absolutely love that. Um, now on that note, I feel like there are a lot of amazing songs on this record. So what do you say we get into some of the details of the record and talk about the songs we love or maybe some of the songs we don't love? Yeah, this sounds great. Yeah. Amazing. Now, is there a song I know you mentioned diamonds on the soles of her shoes is there a song that really stands out to you in your mind as like the favorite off the record I really love Graceland like it's I really love Graceland yeah it's the title track uh we often listen to this whenever we're canning beer um just because so when we're canning beer here at the brewery we do everything on site so here at Red Tea Brewery from like brewing the beer to fermenting it to carving it to canning it or kegging it like we do it here and we have a tiny space. You'll have to come and visit it sometime. Please. Um, but you know, we're spending hours in this space together in production. So like Graceland often comes on here and Grace, like the title track is just one of those songs that it gets you going. And this is a, it's a long task. Sometimes it's really frustrating. So it's just, it gives you energy. <laughs> Definitely. I a hundred percent agree with that. I feel like the more I listen to this song, I'm a big Elvis fan. My dad was a big Elvis fan as well. So every time I hear Graceland, I, my mind goes like Memphis, Tennessee. And I think like Elvis. Yeah. Um, so I really like that piece of it too. But what I like about this song is that I feel like there's this energy he captures where Graceland isn't necessarily like a place, you know, it's not just mm -hmm. Elvis's estate. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a state of mind or a state of being like this yeah. ideal situation where you do feel happy, where you do feel joyful, where you feel like you can be yourself. And I really like that he captured that in a song. You're right. It's so upbeat. It's, you know, it's catchy. It's fun to dance to. It's fun to just like have on, like even me, like I live alone. And so when I was playing this record and I would just kind of be like making dinner or doing whatever, it just like, it kept me upbeat. It kept me happy. And like, I, I hate to keep harping on this pandemic, but it's been hard sometimes to find happiness this year. And it really That's was fun. one that got me dancing and got me moving. You know, sometimes when you have that like more ethereal or heavier messaging, when you are trying to get across something like this idea, this like uh, kind of 
crazy idea of what Graceland could be. It can sometimes feel a little bit like as a listener, it weighs on you too, but because he kept it so light with his like normal storytelling vibe, he's kind of got this like grandfathery, like Papa just out on the steps, like playing his guitar kind of vibe that makes it so easy to listen to. You don't get bogged down by it and you don't be, you don't have to like overthink it to get it. You, you kind of listen to it and you get it. I think that comes back to how you were saying, you know, he's such a great storyteller and that's yeah. what he's doing with his music. And when you hear a great story and you're so engaged by it and it just makes you feel good and you feel all these emotions and you feel them in a way that doesn't make you feel heavy and yeah. you take away different pieces and, and that's part of the story telling and the elements of being an, an amazing storyteller. And I don't know about you, but whenever I was reading about Graceland, I ended up like deep diving into like Graceland, the house and how Elvis came to own Graceland and how he gave his parents a budget of a hundred thousand dollars. And imagine how much money that was Oh my like God, when I know. he sent his parents to find this place and, you know, he wanted something that was far because his neighbors were complaining about all of the media attention. Yeah. Um, you know, now it's, now it's just part of Memphis. It's like, like a, yeah, it's a tourist attraction. It's, it's just kind yeah. of like there, but it's, it yeah. belongs to somebody who was so like, who surpassed all kinds of levels of fame for that time. Right. Totally. Yeah. And like how many people feel like the emotions that people feel about Graceland and yeah. now it's like a national heritage site. And so in order to become a national heritage site, that makes that like that had an impact on people. And so yeah. like the different stories that are told about it and the memories that people have, like, I think it's just beautiful. Yeah. And much like this album, I'm sure this, this album is like a national heritage site for many, you know what I mean? Maybe not a site, but like national heritage artifact. I don't know exactly what it would be, but it's truly a part of, I think, American pop culture at this point. I mean, Simon and Garfunkel are two of the greatest songwriters of all time. So totally mm -hmm. makes sense that this would stand the test of time. I also want to add like Simon and Garfunkel. I don't even know if the song is called Parsley Sage Rosemary in Time, but, um, Last year for like, after Sean brewed, that was easy. The very first batch of that was easy. I took some of the spent grain and I dehydrated it. Oh. And so then I put together these spent grain bread kits that I sent out to family and friends. So I put all the dry ingredients in, uh, in a, into a bowl and like sent them out and like sent a message, you know, this, this is from the very first batch of beer that we made at Red Tape Brewery. And we know we can't share it with you, but we wanted to share a piece of it because this was like family who lived across borders where we can't ship alcohol. Okay. So I had one of these, um, one of these kits left over. And so I, I made it the other day in anticipation of Thanksgiving. As you know, I have two small children and a brewery and it's a pandemic. <laughs> so life is just bananas right now. So whenever I have like a minute to get ready for something that that's upcoming that I want to make really special, then I, I get ready for it. So I made Thanksgiving stuffing and like I'm a maritimer. So it's like bread stuffing. So I, I baked the spent grain bread, but whenever I do spent grain bread for, um, Thanksgiving or for Christmas stuffing, then I put parsley, sage, rosemary, and thyme in there. And I always remember it because of the song and then the I get song. the song stuck in my head. So anyway, I made the stuffing and I froze it. So now it's my, in my deep piece, just ready to go into the oven. Ready to when go for ready couple weeks from now. That's such a great special thing to have for Thanksgiving too. Canadian Thanksgiving is coming up in a couple weeks. So, uh, that'll be very exciting. Yes. Um, now, uh, so we'll kind of, we'll kind of alternate. We'll go back and forth here. I do want to talk about one that I've really loved, which, um, was surprising because I don't really, it, I feel like it's maybe not as a memorable of a song as something like diamonds on the soles of her shoes, for example. Yeah. But in listening to the album, I really enjoyed, you can call me Al. And I think the reason why is because, so I was doing a little bit of research on this and I was on genius and it was saying how the songs about like this guy, you know, going through a midlife crisis, like he calls himself Mr. Beer Belly. He talks about being 
soft in the middle and that certain things don't bring him the same kind of joy. Um, and I feel like the whole chorus of like, you can, I can call you Betty and you Betty, when you call me, you can call me Al. It's kind of like poking fun. Like, obviously that's not, you know, Paul Simon's name. Paul Simon's name is Paul and his wife at the time, I can't remember what her name was, but it was kind of based on this like jokey interaction where he was leaving a party and he was called he was called by the wrong name. And like, this is Paul Simon, like he's a famous person and somebody just totally misquoted him. Um, but I think it's also about having like, when you're feeling down, when you're having those moments of like not feeling like yourself or feeling maybe like your best days are behind you, just having someone in your corner who's, you know, just going to maybe bring up that inside joke of that one time at a party, someone called you the wrong name and make you laugh and make you feel all right. Yeah. And, um, it was That's again, true friendship right there that's true friendship right there. And so I really like listening to this album. It really like, I don't know, it just lifted me up and put me in really good spirits. Yeah. I I saw a really great like meme or something yesterday where it was like self-esteem and success are two different things. So however you're feeling isn't reflective of your success. So I think like for anyone, like, you know, there's this perception of how successful you are or what you've worked towards and that success that you've achieved. And then if you're having a really shitty day and I, like I've, I've had a couple shitty days recently where I'm like, Oh man, like, what the fuck am I doing? Like, just Christ. <laughs> and, uh, I just feel like I'm not, I'm not achieving what I want to achieve. And I'm like, wait, that's just how I'm feeling that's not reflective of what I've actually been doing. And so that like helped me think. And I think, you know, you can call me Al is something similar. And it's like, okay, there's, you're going to have moments that are really shitty. And then like, it's really great to have a friend who's like, Hey, you remember when that person called you Al? Yeah. And I love that. I'm going to, I'm going to put that on a sticky note that the way that I'm feeling is not a reflective of my success, because I actually really think that's a very powerful statement and could probably get a lot of people through some of the shittier days that they're experiencing right now. So I love that. I love that. You're just blowing my mind, blowing my mind (laughs) all over the place today. I got to tell you. (laughs) With good beer. With good beer. beer, With great beer. I must say Mm. I'm very much enjoying that. That was easy pale ale. Um, what's good. I already finished mine. Like I was I, usually I'm the first one to finish the beer and I'm just like, Oh no, she's drinking me under the table. This one. <laughs> I'm like, Oh gosh, should I get another one? I don't know. I mean, like yeah. it's up to you. Okay. Give me a minute. I'm going to go get another beer. Where would you like to go next? Sarah Beth on our Graceland journey. So at the beginning we talked about how like there was a lot of criticism around this album. You know, I think it was his engineer, was it his engineer? He and his engineer went to South Africa to, to record, yeah, to record, and they were kind of trying to do it under the radar. Um, and so there's like a couple different aspects to this album. So the one side is under African skies, he d- he did with Linda Rodstad, and my understanding is that Linda Rodstad had. Uh, performed at an all-white hotel in South Africa for like half a million dollars. So him choosing her as an artist to collaborate on this song feels a little, like, yeah, yeah, cringy. Like, <laughs> you know, you're like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go and like work with these artists, and I really want to capture that South African soul, and you know, just like capture, like work with those artists from South Africa who are suffering because of apartheid and then you go and put Linda Ronston on your album and like clearly she had been like 
you know, whatever. Yeah. I'll take your money. (laughs) Yeah. It seemed like she had been maybe perhaps a little bit ignorant to what was going on and was maybe looking to make some coin. I don't want to make assumptions about Linda Rothstadt, but that that's how it kind of is perceived to somebody on the outside looking in. Um, definitely something that again, like in listening to the out, like in listening to this song, sorry, I feel like I was just in awe of the beautiful harmonies that of the two Mm -hmm. of them singing together. And then, yeah, going in, like, it's like the first thing that comes up when you Google under African skies is this, this whole controversy with uh, Linda Rothstadt. So definitely important for us to, again, just make ourselves aware of like, should we try and find like 1986 issues of Rolling Stone? And like, maybe that's where we, we find out. Find the real story. Yeah. Billboard. I don't know. Maybe I'll go to the library. I'll go into the library archives. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But But I think a beautiful song, a a beautiful song still. It's part of this record that I think like, you know, we keep talking about the stories that he told. And I feel like it's a piece of the puzzle of this entire album for sure. It is. And, you know, like that's really beautiful collaboration and it's got that controversy behind it. And then on the other side, Homeless, another really beautiful song, again, with beautiful harmony, but of a completely different genre. You know, like I can see how these two songs would appeal to two completely different groups of people. And some people will be like, oh, I love that song and not even realize like the controversy that came about of the album like with the collaborators though. So, you know, the people that he collaborated with, uh, Lady Smith Black. Mabazo. To kind of give them a name and, and show the world their music. Yeah. Well, yeah. Lady Smith Black Mombazo, I feel like, again, it, it's, it, it's a group that I don't know a whole lot about, to be honest with you. I feel like my first introduction to it was probably Graceland was probably even this song or diamonds on the soles of her shoes, something like that. Um, but again, there is something to be said about kind of shining a light and giving people a forum, giving people a stage to showcase their talent because they're an incredibly talented hymnal group. And I actually like, I, I agree, like homeless is a beautiful song. And I feel like to me, it encapsulated what he was trying to do the most. Like he set out to go to South Africa. Yes, he pissed off some people, including the United Nations to do it, but he set out to go and showcase the talent that was out there and support the local musicians, right? So hearing them sing, hearing Lady Smith Black Mombazo and Joseph Shabalala sing in Zulu and having that like gorgeous hymnal choral feeling to, you know, really juxtapose the very soft and simple, simple yet effective vocals of someone like Paul Simon is just incredibly stunning. And like, I still kind of like, just like hear it in my head where I'm like, homeless, homeless. Like, you know, it's just, it's very, um, almost lullaby, like very easygoing, very, very soothing. And it got me thinking about hearing music today that's sung in a different language, because like, you know, I can really easily go in and, you know, put homeless by Paul Simon into Google, like translation and Google will translate the Zulu for me. So I don't have to think about it. But in 1986, you didn't have that kind of power to go in and do that. So I'm like, unless you spoke Zulu, you'd probably just be absorbing this and appreciating the the culture for what it is. And, you know, I don't want to say that it's not searching for a meaning in the song, but sometimes I find when we search to find that meaning, we're almost like putting our own interpretations on top of it. Whereas like when you just focus on listening to the rhythm, listening to the words that are being said and not worrying too much about what it means in your own native language, you can almost absorb it that much more. Um, And that was what I tried to do. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to Google what it means because I want to just like appreciate the the beautiful art and the the beautiful sound of uh, the Zulu language. And uh, that's what I did with this song. And I, I thought that was pretty special. I think that's part of his, his talent and storytelling too. You know, at that time where there was a boycott on on South Africa because of apartheid and, you know, so there was limited information and even more limited than what we can comprehend today with 
the internet and constantly being in contact and having access to so much information is like, okay, you know, he's telling this beautiful story and maybe people at that time took the initiative to go out and kind of do a little bit more research and understand where these people are coming from in that history. And maybe he opened some minds. I hope so. I would definitely like to think yeah. so. It's certainly even just in choosing this album in the last couple of weeks, like after you and I chatted, like it's certainly taught me a lot. So I hope that that was also yeah. the case. 35 have you years read ago. The book? Have you read the book, uh, The Power of One? I've heard of it, but I've never read it. It's so good. So this was one of my favorite books when I was in my early 20s. And it's in South Africa during apartheid. And it's about a little boy. He's a white little boy and he doesn't have any friends. His best friend is a chicken named Grandpa Chuck. But I feel like the, the storytelling, again, it's it's such a huge impact. And, and I highly recommend The Power of One. I think oh. I should pick it up and read it again. Oh, I'm no, I'm definitely, I'm always looking for new books to read. Are you kidding? That's, I will be taking note of that and writing that down for sure. Because I, <laughs> that sounds, I, it sounds like a good book. And again, given this album, I've just been kind of like, it's been top of mind for me where I've been thinking about that time period and how, again, just how like horrible, like how that's the only word I can think of. I'm like, it was, it was a horrible time, I think for a lot of people. And, um, I, I can't ever really understand what that feels like given, you know, that we live in Canada and we're living under the, the, the skies that we're living under right now. But, um, yeah, I, I would love to read that. So thank you for the mm-hmm. recommendation for sure. Yeah. I feel like because we're talking about this album, we also have to talk about diamonds on the soles of her shoes, which I feel like is the song off the record it's like the song it's the song of my life yes 100%. <laughs> and so I absolutely I love the story about you like you and Sean and, and your dance party to diamonds on the soles of her shoes because I think that's amazing and you I I would make an assumption that you love this song like it's really probably one it. of yeah top of your love list it. yeah I like that too. It's, it's a story. It's a love story, but it's also maybe a little bit like unconventional. You know, he says like the, you know, there's obviously like the rich girl with diamonds on the soles of her shoes. And then he's a poor boy, empty as a pocket with nothing to lose. And then they end up like falling asleep on the stair outside the bodega. Like there's so many great lines in the song. Like the lyrics I think are really strong, but then having Lady Smith, Black Mombazo again, come in, like, you know, that point in the song, it's probably about like a minute in where it changes. It goes from the very like um, Zulu heavy side of things to a more of a assignment yeah and the groove kind of kicks in and everything it's like it's really just a party in a song like it I'm totally understand why you had it as like to kick off your wedding dance party because I feel like it gets it gets everybody going it's just such a good happy joyful tune about something that's like I don't know kind kind of serious I guess like maybe yeah I think it's about being human like you know these two people that come from two completely different places and how they're so compatible because I don't know. I think it speaks to like soulmates and I believe in soulmates and, um, you know, working together and, and everyone's going to have their differences no matter what. And it yeah. doesn't matter if it's money, if it, it doesn't matter if it's education, it doesn't matter if it's this or that, or, you know, all these like things that we talk, maybe politics, I don't know, that might get in the way or anti-vaxxers or <laughs> there are certain things, certain things that can come there up where you're like, things. hmm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do I really want this person in my life? Yeah, unfortunately, it's been a time yeah. for that. Yeah. <laughs> but there's so many things that, like, as human beings, that are like, okay, you know, like this, this is my person. And yeah. uh, we're going to have different experiences and it's going to be wonderful. And we're going to have these differences and it may result in us disagreeing over some things, but there are things that we can get over and we can still have fun and make life beautiful. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think there's a part in the song too, doesn't he say where, you know, it switches to this, this poor boy having diamonds on the soles of his shoes, but it, maybe it's for a different reason. Maybe it doesn't mean just because of the wealth, like the money in his bank account. It could just be like being rich in love and, and having yeah. a, a supportive partner, which I think is, uh, which I think is amazing. So huge track. Love this one. Now, at this point in the podcast, we are going to move on to our final closing thoughts on the record. We're going to offer up our take on the album as a whole. Um, Sarah Beth, I'm going to let you go first. So at this time, if you can leave our listeners with some of your final thoughts on the album Graceland by Paul Simon, and then we like to rate it out of the drink that we're drinking. So then if you can rate it out of five, that was easy pale ales. Um, (laughs) Just a reminder on our scale on the podcast, it is not a formal scale, but I would say five, that was easy pale ales means it's one of your favorite albums. You can listen to it for the rest of your life. Uh, if it's like a one or a half of a pale ale, it's like you hate it. You never want to hear it again. So that's just, you know, the metrics. But um, I will pass it to you now to share your thoughts on the record. Getting ready to talk about this album in such depth. Like I've learned so much. And that's that's my biggest takeaway. I mean, I love this album. That's why I suggested it. And it means a lot to me. Like it's always been part of my life and has become increasingly part of my life. And it's something that we listen to all the time here at the brewery. Um, but it's made me realize like, I need to dig deeper and I need to kind of understand more and, you know, just realizing how deep the stories that are being told on this album are. Um, so I'm going to say like a 4.7 out of 5. 4.7, like, I like it. This is 5.3% ABV. Um, so I'm going to go with 4.7. I like it. That's definitely like a solid rating. We usually go into halves, but I like that you're throwing out the 0.7. Just a rule breaker from the start. I'm into it. Um, so I'll echo exactly what you said. I had no idea coming into this that I was going to learn so much about the about the history behind the record. Usually, you know, it's nice to get a little bit of a background like, oh, they recorded this, you know, it was during this year and they were in conflict with this person and that's how the record came. Like, it's very simple. You know, you could summarize the history of the album in a couple sentences, but this is so complicated and there's so many different ways you can look at it. And you don't want to dismiss anyone's point of view either, right? Because people are going to have their own interpretations and their own thoughts about the album. Again, different sides of the coin. Even I think musicians are very polarized by this album today. Well-known musicians um, of multiple races, multiple genders. And um, it's just, it's created a lot of interesting discussion. And I think, you know, I'm with you. I would love to continue doing my own research and I'm going to be Googling shit after we, uh, (laughs) after we hang up our call today, for sure. I think it definitely speaks to the album itself. Sorry, it definitely speaks to, you know, the, just the longevity of Paul Simon as an artist. Like he's still going, you know, like he's in his seventies and he's still, I'm assuming playing shows, maybe not so much during COVID, but he's very apparent in a lot of people's lives. And he has become a very core part of, I think people's discography, uh, whether you grew up listening to Simon and Garfunkel with your parents, much like you did, or whether you kind of discovered later in life, like me, you know, the name, like they have the staying yeah. power, even in the last, you know, like 60 or odd years that they started Simon and Garfunkel. Um, like in the sixties, right? Like, yeah. Well, 1956, I think was their first album. So it's, it's just crazy that like, again, this man is still like putting music out there and he's still putting out records and he is still very well regarded in the music industry. So it's, it's insane to me. And uh, there's not many artists like that in the world. Mm -hmm. And I think there's not many albums like Graceland in the world. The only one that I can really compare it to in in my mind. And I hate that I'm making another South African comparison because I don't want to say it's one for one, but like, I remember Mumford and Sons did an EP like the Johannesburg's tapes or something, it's called something Johannesburg EP, but they did it, you know, they recorded it in South Africa. And that's what kind of like 
spoke to me too, where I'm like, it's important for artists to get out and discover new, new ways of writing music, new sounds, new artists, and bringing all of that to their, their form, bringing all that to their stage. So I felt like Paul Simon definitely accomplished that. Um, yeah. And I think it will be an album that, you know, periodically when I'm feeling down, especially this will be one that I come back to. So I was going to go with a four out of five. Um, and I think between the two of us that averages out to like, you know, a 4.35 out of five, which yeah. I think is an excellent rating. Yeah, and, um, that's good. Right. Out that's of five, a great rating. That's a great yeah. rating. I think if we were like a Rolling Stone magazine, that's like one of the top ones. So, um, yeah, I, I, I do really like the record and I'm just, I'm very grateful for the discussion we had today. Like I feel very like rich and just like, I learned so much from you and I hope you learned, learned a little bit so from me. so much today. <laughs> learned so much on, is a, amazing. on a Wednesday night. Who'd have thought over some beers? Wonderful. I love beer. I love <laughs> me beer. too. I love you, Kara. I love you again. too. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>